Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. And welcome to an edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday, podcast1.com and iTunes. Hope you guys are doing well. Thank you for downloading, streaming, listening, wherever you're doing so around the world. Great to be with you for another week. And uh, back from a bunch of travel, hosted four shows on the Sirius XM Hair Nation Tour, which featured Jack Russell's Great White, Bullet Boys, and Enough's Enough. Had a great time on that tour. Uh, did venues, the Will Turn in L.A., the House of Blues in Anaheim, the House of Blues in Vegas, and the Van Buren in Phoenix. Nice venues. All four bands really coming together, really sounding good. Great crowds in all the places. I mean, uh, honestly, if I'm being honest, not sold out by any stretch, but respectable crowds and the people that were there really, really into it, which was great to see. And I appreciate all the, the kind support for me, and it was great to host that. Now, that tour will continue for a while longer. There's some breaks, but it continues. There's only one other date that I am hosting on that tour, and that is in Houston at the House of Blues. Otherwise, uh, the rest of the shows I will not physically be at, but go and see all the great bands and have a great time and relive some of your uh, 80s heyday there on the SiriusXM Hair Nation Tour. Also spent some time with Vince Neil this past Friday. Hosted a show he did in Houston. Had a chance to talk to him a little bit about all the Motley Crue reunions and uh, reunion rumors, I should say, going around. The only thing Vince did confirm is that there is these new songs that will be tied in with the movie that's coming. Whether the band plays in some configuration or not, nobody's quite sure. I think the rumors of a tour are extremely premature. It doesn't seem like there's any real info going on there and honestly vince is having a great time with his own band owning that motley stuff playing it live making great money and pulling great crowds so i he didn't really seem all that interested in having that change at all although we'll see what the future brings and as i've said all the time i mean come on that contract that they signed to not reunite i mean let's be honest uh who are they going to sue themselves? They made it with themselves. It's kind of ridiculous. So uh, w- will something happen? My take is yes, but probably not how you think. And I don't think it would be a tour. It might be under a different name. It might be with some slightly different configuration and band members. Who knows? But that's just speculation on my part. We'll see what ends up playing out. But it was good to see Vince and his band, Zoltan and uh, Jeff and Dana, killer band that he has, and a lot of fun to see them play and do all those Motley Crue classics. I uh, went to see Richie Kotzen and Vinnie Moore and Gus G last week in Vegas. I had a night off there. Got to see those guys. Uh, great guitar playing across the board, of course. Richie, one of my all-time favorite talents across the board in terms of singing, writing, playing. So it's good to catch up with him. We had some drinks into the wee hours and had a good time there in Vegas last week. Always a great time there at Vamped. So, A lot going on on the road. I am now stationary for about a week and a half. Next up for me, I'm in Tulsa, October 5th, where I host Sebastian Bach at the IDL Ballroom. October 6th, I'm in Huntington Beach, California, where I am shooting an episode of Trunk Fest. That'll take place at Sammy Hagar's festival, the High Tide Beach Party. Not only will I intro Sammy as well at that show, but I'll be hosting the after party from 10 till midnight after that wraps up. It ends kind of early if you're going. Uh, last uh, Music ends by 9.00. 
and the post party from 10 till midnight. As soon as I have details about where that is, or it'll be posted, I'm sure, on Sammy's site. And once I get the information, I'll put it up. I'll let you guys know. But that should be a fun Saturday night in Huntington Beach for Sammy Hagar's event. Then the next weekend, back in Tulsa again, October 12th, to host Tom Kiefer at the IDL. And from there again, I go west and go to Sacramento, where I shoot an episode of Trunk Fest at the Aftershock Festival. And then October 19th, I'm in El Dorado, Arkansas. Sammy Hagar, Brett Michaels, and Lita Ford at the MAD Amphitheater. All of these appearances are on the homepage of eddytrunk.com. We got the Dio Bowling event for charity coming October 25th at Pins in Studio City. And uh, another Trunk Nation broadcast from the Rainbow coming up soon in October. So tons of stuff going on. As usual, I urge you to follow on Twitter, at Eddie Trunk, for up to the second news, info, and updates. And be sure to uh, look at eddytrunk.com. All the appearances are on the homepage of the site. There's also a Facebook fan page and also an Instagram page, all at my name, just at Eddie Trunk. If you're doing Facebook, remember, I do not interact with Facebook. I only post stuff on the fan page. So make sure you look at that, although I don't, I actually don't do all that much there. It's more Twitter and a little Instagram and, of course, my website for the, uh, for the appearances and music news and a whole lot more. And then in, uh, in November, I've got a bunch of stuff, some stuff in Houston, an event called Foamhenge which is going to be awesome. And like I said, the Hair Nation date at the House of Blues and then going to Mexico to host that run of dates with Deep Purple. So, so much going on as we close out the year here already. And great to be doing it. And of course, I'm on the radio too, on top of all that, every single day, live on Sirius XM 106 volume. Hear me live every day, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, replaying 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. And again, that is on Volume Channel 106. And there is a bonus show on Mondays only, 5 to 8 p.m. Eastern time. And that is on Sirius XM 39, Hair Nation. So a lot of stuff going on. The podcast, six live shows a week on Sirius XM, all the appearances, and already shooting episode, or season two, rather, of Trunk Fest. Was supposed to shoot an episode last weekend in Louisville, at Bourbon and Beyond, it ended up getting canceled. We we shot on one, on the first day a little bit, and then day two got rained out. And then they actually had another festival in Louisville on the same site this weekend, Louder Than Life, and that has been canceled in advance because of flooding at the concert site, which I was really surprised about because the weather certainly was clearing up there in Louisville, but apparently there was a lot of damage done and wisely, the promoters erred on the side of caution. So no louder than life this year due to whatever happened at the at the site. I was there the one day that it did rain all day that the Bourbon and Beyond Festival took place, and it was it was nasty. It was definitely nasty. So uh, good, good that they're airing on uh, the side of safety. Unfortunate for all the fans looking forward to seeing that festival. That one will not be happening. As I talk about all the time, there are more festivals than ever in this country, and this is going to happen. I mean, you can't do anything about weather. It is something that will come into play from time to time. So, as I mentioned, this this uh, podcast every week gives you a little sample of one of the interviews that I do on a daily basis on my show on volume. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys, fighting a little bit of a cold here. But um, speaking of being out in the rain in Louisville in the mud, <laughs> it didn't help. But you know, I, I bring you guys an interview each week here. All of these interviews originate and are courtesy of my show on Sirius XM, Trunk Nation on volume. So I urge you to come on board and join me. I do this on a daily basis, Talking Rock, and you just get a little taste, a little teaser here on the podcast of what I'm doing on a daily basis where you can get involved and call in and everything else. So please check it out. Uh, Trunk Nation, of course, on volume, Sirius XM 106. And the interview you're about to hear uh, was broadcast on that show about two weeks ago. And it the interview this week is with Mark Farner, guitarist and singer from the band Grand Funk Railroad. He is a former member of the band, but an original member of the band. As you're about to hear from Mark, he'd very much like to be back in the band. He feels he was duped out of the band. This is a very candid and revealing interview from Mark. I, I don't know. You know, I find it interesting because... Grand Funk has a very rabid fan base. They are very passionate about the band. I know this because 
When I was doing that metal show, we had Mark Farner on an episode, and he was a wonderful guy, really nice guy. And we had him on very briefly, but I got a tremendous amount of response from that. And then a publicist reached out to me a few days ago, or a few weeks ago, rather, and asked if I'd be willing to have Mark on. And I remembered the reaction having him on last time on the TV show. And I said, yeah, I'd love to talk to him and have a little bit more of an extended conversation. So the same thing happened since this has aired already on Sirius XM a couple of times and uh, been on the app for those subscribers to download. So many people have commented to me about this interview and said, thanks for having him on. And they really feel this is an underappreciated guy. If you're not familiar with Grand Funk Railroad, they were huge in the early 70s to the point that they headlined Shea Stadium, sold it out faster than the Beatles. I mean, it's really pretty amazing. And of course, they've got three, four hits that are just classic rock staples. Now, the band still exists in, in the sense that two of the original members continue using the name. One of the guys who replaced Mark Farner in the band is Bruce Kulick, who was in Kiss and has been in the band for like 20 years now. And you'll get Mark's thoughts on that. To some Grand Funk fans, the idea of Grand Funk without Mark Farner is ridiculous. Others, you know, we talk about this all the time. I mean, they just, uh, you know, people go, somebody's using the name and they go and they hear the songs and they don't really know what's going on and they don't really care and they watch the show. I mean, we see that that's rampant in the music industry. Who's actually in these bands. Sometimes people don't even know. Sometimes people just don't care. And we discuss a lot of that. And I discuss a lot of that in the interview you're about to hear, but Mark is very revealing about why he isn't in the band, his thoughts on Bruce Kulick, his thoughts on the legacy of the group and what he's doing now, which is essentially his own version of the band. Uh, Mark Farner's American Band is what he's calling it. So I think you're going to enjoy this, a little trip down really classic rock land here in a big way with Mark Farner, an original member and now former member for a while now of Grand Funk. And that interview is coming up in just a second. Remember, if you guys are doing any shopping on Amazon, please start on my page, amazon.com slash shop slash Eddie Trunk. Appreciate you starting as uh, your, your starting page there and then going on to the rest of the site. That is greatly appreciated. Uh, if you go to eddytrunk.com, there's a merch store, uh, Trunk Nation shirts, hats, all sorts of cool swag. And also you can get signed copies of either of my books. If you become an all-access member of my website for a very small fee, you can get my FM radio show on demand. All of that music news updated daily as well on eddytrunk.com. So let's get to it. Right after this break, Mark Farner is my guest on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, if you like my show, you need to check out Penn's Sunday School with magician and entertainer Penn Gillette. Each week, Penn talks to celebrities, magicians, and other entertainers about whatever he wants. Past guests include Phil Rosenthal, Dr. Joel Furman, and writer and director Kevin Smith. So check out Penn's Sunday School every week on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. All right, let's get into it right now. Here it is on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. Mark Farner, formerly of Grand Funk Railroad. How are you, Mark? I'm great. I'm proud to be sucking air, brother. (laughs) (laughs) Please don't tell me when you reach your age that's as much as it comes down to, is it? No, 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 no. (laughs) Hell no. (laughs) You're still out there kicking ass, man. (laughs) Yeah, man. And, uh, you know, as long as I'm sucking air, I will be kicking ass and rocking forth with vigor. Yeah, well, you certainly do. And uh, I know you got a lot of things going on. I was looking over at your website, which, again, is uh, for people to check it out, markfarner.com. And you've got a lot of dates announced. I know you've got a an acoustic show coming to New York City October 30th at the Cutting Room. So business is good. You're, you're, you're happy. You've got a good band together. Tell me about what's going on right now in your world before we talk about some of the old stuff. Okay, well, I have a video coming out. It is a concert we did 2017, Santiago, Chile. Uh, it's Mark Farner uh, from Chile with love, you know. And and then I have another a video coming out called Can't Stop. 
It's a single video, and there is another single video of Rock and Roll Soul taken from the live footage uh, in Chile that will be released as well. So I'm looking forward to doing that stuff and a lot of live shows, man, so it keeps me happening. As far as the live DVD that you're going to put out, Mark, I mean, you have, of course, your own solo records and then, of course, all the Grand Funk stuff. So what's the balance of material that, that you do with, with American Band? Is it a mix? Oh, it's mostly the stuff I did with Grand Funk. Mm-hmm. And and I throw in some other stuff, you know, once in a while. But uh, people that come to the show, I you know, we've got a chance to poll the audience and ask them what they wanted to hear in the set. That's a great advantage of the Internet, and you can get a lot of good uh, feedback there and some good direction. And that's what we did, and we formed the set from that for, for, our, for our electric set. But as far as the acoustic set, I put in things that are people wouldn't normally – uh, expect to hear coming from me, you know, like Mr. Pretty Boy or uh, Little Johnny Hooker, uh, you know, things that acoustically people were, were, you know, when they once they hear them, they love it, of course, because uh, it's the it's the same voice that's saying it, <laughs> and it's in the same key. Thank God. <laughs> wow, you can still do all your stuff in the original key, huh? Yeah, so far, man. You know, I'm hanging in there. Well, no, that's great. Look, when when I saw you when you did my TV show a number of years ago, I mean, you you were uh, clearly you're in great shape, and that's great to hear. I haven't heard you sing in a while, but obviously, some of the artists that I have on, some of them admit, "Hey, we've got to tune down a lot," or "I'm getting some help from one of the other guys in the band," or what have you. Uh-huh. But that there's very few that that can still, you know, at, after all these decades, do it at the, the original way it was recorded. So that's a that's an amazing thing that that you're able to do. Well, I appreciate that, brother, and uh, I attribute it to marrying a woman 13 years younger than me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by rock and roll standards, that's not really all that much younger. <laughs> no, no. I tell people to, you know, marry them young because they keep you humping. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the secret, huh? That's the secret, buddy. <laughs> You mentioned that you shot this DVD in Chile. Do you get out of the country a lot? I know, you know, I've been to Central and South America a few times. The 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 appetite for rock in in those areas of the world seems to be pretty incredible. Do you get to outside of the US a lot with with your band? I go at least once a year we go someplace, you know, um out of the US. And uh, we were in Guam uh last year as well. I'm going to tell you, man, it is a great place to rock, but it is hotter than the sheriff's pistol. <laughs> it is so hot. That's got to be the hottest place on the planet. Wow. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we we do the foreign stuff because uh, there's the demand, and people want me to come and sing for them. So back in the day, back in the original days of Grand Funk Railroad, did you guys go, I mean, you guys were such a quintessential American band you know, no pun intended with the song, of course. But did you did you guys go? You know, back in the early seventies, did you do a lot of touring outside of the U.S.? Yes, we did uh, extensive European touring and had Humble Pie opening for us before we came to Shea Stadium in New York City, where they made their debut uh, at second base. <laughs> Yeah, that's where they America first heard Humble Pie, and it was with all of them. I mean, you know, with Frampton and Stevie Marriott and, you know, Jerry Shirley, the whole gang. Um, but we uh, we were big in Japan as well. Uh, we played the World Series baseball stadium over there in Osaka, and there was a monsoon season, and... The, the limo was dodging manhole covers that were blowing up in the street, and, and we were, like, swerving to miss them. When we pull up, uh, there's all these thousands of kids were outside that wanted in, and it was already sold out. These fans picked up a telephone pole and started ramming the gate and burst that gate open, and all those kids ran into the infield, and they came to us in the pouring rain and said, you play now? <laughs> and we went, are you crazy? <laughs> it's raining out there. <laughs> but we played, and uh, and they are very uh, enduring fans, I'm telling you that. And they all had an umbrella. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wow. 
you know, you uh, you said you mentioned playing Shea Stadium, which is a, a, a legendary thing in the history of of Grand Funk Railroad. That was in 1971. Is that that? Am I accurate that is, there? That is true. And your so your opening act for that show was Humble Pie. Yeah. And and tell me, I mean, Steve Marriott was is regarded as such a an iconic guy for the people that know what he did in Humble Pie and his his vocals and all that. What were your impressions of him at that point, Mark? I loved them because before those guys went on when we were doing the European tour, they were in there with a jam box listening to all the R&B, all the American R&B and and Motown stuff and and you hear uh, Marriott warming up and I, I just knew it was going to be funky before we even heard them for the first time. But then actually experiencing those guys and the talent that they had between them, holy shit, man, it was awesome. It was really awesome. And, and when, you know, we'd go out to the pubs afterwards and, and after like a couple of those, what do they call them, elephant beers, <laughs> those things, uh, you know, Marriott would start belting out some songs, and I would join him, and we were singing, man, to the top of our lungs in some of these places and, you know, singing harmony, and people were, like, all gathering around. It was having a great time. It was just great camaraderie with all of those guys. How did it come to be that Grand Funk played Shea Stadium? I mean, I know you guys were a popular band. It was a little, you know, I was still very young, so I don't, I don't recall it, and I don't recall you know that 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 period of time at all but there's only a handful of bands of course the beatles famously played it as well that that even played shea stadium when it was there did i imagine a promoter approached you did you have hesitation on whether you could fill the building do you do you remember the circumstances surrounding that well sid bernstein loved the band and we had done um some work with Sid Pryor, you know, and, and he just, he loved us as guys, uh, you know, because we just old hicks from the sticks, you know. Um, but he foresaw and he said, man, I know we can sell that out. I know we can do it. And, and he was right. And, and the way it went down, and, and this is before electronic sales. So it was uh, pretty phenomenal that it happened in three days in seventy two hours they were it was fifty five thousand tickets were gone and you know when the Beatles did it it was there was a lot made of the fact that the sound system i mean they were playing through what was the like the existing p a that the Mets were using that you couldn't nobody could hear anything with all the screams and basically it was just it was mayhem and from a a, a concert standpoint sonically it was a debacle. For you guys, what was it like? Did you go in there with proper PA? Did you have it set up better than that? Oh, yeah. There was a full PA without monitors. So, I mean, we we really didn't need the monitors. They had the, the front of house was set back far enough to where I could hear it, and, and I could hear everything really good when it started. When that audience started singing, I'm getting closer to my home. It was louder. It drowned out. Out that PA, buddy. I'm telling you, and just thinking back on it, my goosebumps are standing on top of goosebumps because it was that. Uh, it took me over. I mean, it was, it was like somebody slapped me with something. It was just so present, and they were a long ways from me, but they were right in front of my face. And you guys were set up in the same way, kind of like where the Beatles were. You were on the field, and were there people on the field, or were you just playing to everybody that was in the? in the actual stadium because that was the other thing about the footage when you see the Beatles playing there they were, they were pretty far away from anybody in the in the first few rows everybody was just in the permanent seating they didn't sell on the field itself that's right and that's the same way it was for our concert and they were that far away but we had a PA that could reach them you know and we rocked it wow that's, is there footage of you guys playing there did you shoot it mark yes it's uh, the maze elves um, did the, they did the filming of it, and um, it, the corporation, um, GFR Corporation, which is two-thirds of it is Don and Mel, they hold that footage, and uh, I reckon they don't release it because it's got me as the front man. <laughs> and, and it's too bad. It really is too bad 
because the fans would like to see that footage. And I've been asking for years, but I don't get much uh, response when I ask for anything from those guys. It's just kind of hard feelings. I'm, I'm sorry it's that way, but it's the way life is sometimes. So you're saying that that so your performance at Shea Stadium back in '71 with Grand Funk was professionally filmed and it exists. And all these years, it's never come out, and and there's no there's no way to put it out. Like there's no because there's just no there's that much of a communication breakdown there. Well, I don't understand because there is money to be made, um, but also I don't understand why uh, they don't just regroup and let's go out and as the real grand funk and get the real money <laughs> you know i can't understand that part either but um it's it's not a, you know i'm not a psychologist uh and you'd have to go there in order to to get this man i'm telling you it's been an entanglement well i want to i want to talk to you about a few more things from the past that i think are just great stories if you have the time but since yeah. you brought this up let's let's just let's let, let me ask you i saw you guys play with the original band, I guess it's 15, 20 years ago at the Beacon Theater, where yeah. you guys played in New York. So so the band came back together at that time, but and I know that they they um they exist with with other guys without you and which you just referenced. So so where did it break down again? What 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 is can you let the fans know what the issue is or do you know what the issue is? Yeah, is it well, money? Is it control? Is it who owns the name? What what does it come down to? I believe it's control because uh Don came to me after a concert one night when we were back uh, you know 96 97 98 during those uh, reunion years he came um and this was after uh, a, a party that we'd had after the gig. We we had been drinking a little, and he comes to my room and he tells me, "Farner, we said he said we need to sign our individual ownership of the trademark into the corporation where it's going to have this protective umbrella or something." You know, I didn't finish high school, and he had gone to law school, and I figured he was doing something that was for the good of the band. I thought he was my friend. I really thought he was my friend, dude. Um, and then I said, okay, you know, I'll do that. So he says, okay, I'll go to my room and get the papers. And as he's gone, I'm thinking, why the hell didn't he just bring those papers with him? And it didn't dawn on me until after I got the notice that I was no longer in the corporation as an officer of course, they can't throw me out as a shareholder, but a, a shareholder of a name <laughs> that does nothing, I mean, it's like it's worthless um, where I'm at because I have no influence over any decisions that are being made over uh, what's done with, with that trademark, what's done with the music. And I wrote over 90% of the music, Eddie. It's like, you know... I should have had some little say in there, and those guys should have been honest to have called it Grand Funk Revisited or something to give the fans a heads up. But to just declare themselves as Grand Funk without the guy that wrote and sang 90-some percent, that's kind of, you know, that's in the face. I, and there's a lot of bands that do that. I can't, uh, I think it's dishonest. It's legal, but it's dishonest as hell. Well, we talk about it. I mean, my gosh, I talk about it on this show constantly because there I constantly get calls from fans asking about their favorite band and how is it possible this guy's going to use the name without this key member? I mean, and it's it, it's you're right, it's ongoing and it's it's rampant. And to yes. me, what's most surprising about it, Mark, is how few people a don't know who is or isn't in these bands, yeah. and b the percentage of people who frankly don't care because they <laughs> never knew and they just see the logo and want to hear the songs. So, Mark, go going back to this because I'm fascinated by this. So they, they, so what you're basically saying is the reason why you're not in Grand Funk Railroad now is because they duped you into signing something that basically cut you out. Is that accurate? That is accurate. And so you didn't think enough because you thought they were your friends. You didn't even think enough to say, oh, I'm going to have my lawyer look this over first or anything like that. You just was like, yeah, okay, cool. And then you found out that what? You didn't, you didn't have a piece of the name anymore? That's right. Well, I didn't have a say in any of the business done in the name. They just threw me out as an officer. I'm not an officer. I'm a shareholder. And it's just, 
you know, it, it, it took a while for this to really make sense to me, that it was a hateful thing and was done out of, I don't know, jealousy or whatever it is, but it's not, it's not a good thing or a kind thing to do to a friend or to set somebody up like that. And, in fact, my friend uh, in, in D.C. told me the reason that Don won't get back, back together with me is, is because of that. He says, if you set somebody up, you're not going to want them to be around you, man, for thinking they're going to be like you and they're going to retaliate and somehow put your ass in a snafu. So how long after you signed this document did you realize what you signed and that you realized the situation you were in, and then how did that go down? Did you just immediately immediately say, I'm out, or did they, they kick you out because of it? Yeah, well, they tried to uh, force me into going on the road with them. They said, we're going out, and we, and we want you to come out and front the band, and I'm going, are you crazy? Uh, after throwing my ass out, you want to do anything with me? <laughs> you know? uh, As essentially, was, at that point, at that point, essentially, you would have been an employee. Yeah, and and I think that there had, there's some consideration has to be given to um, the creativity and where that came from. All, all that music that they're going out and making their money and uh, counterfeiting, <laughs> you know. Why isn't there honesty in advertising, Eddie? I mean, wh- maybe we should have a, a site where it's a, like a, it's a star rating, and if there was five people in the original band, then they get five stars. But if there's only two stars, you got to go in there to the site and see what happened. That would be at least you know a step in the right direction. It would be a step towards honesty. But right now, it's just blindly ripping people off. And like you say, most of them that are there just are going to hear the music. They use the name of the band, so they think that's what it is. They're really not concerned about it. They're not hardcore fans. Well, the way I see it is it's two things. They don't know, or they and if they don't know, they're just not paying attention very well, or they don't care. And when right. I say they don't care, what I, I mean by that is you're right. They're not hardcore fans. It's casual fans that see a logo Oh, I know these songs, and I'm sure they're well played. I mean, it's not the same, of course, but they've got competent musicians. And yeah. oh, this is fine. I'll 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 have a beer and sit in a state fair somewhere and listen to these songs. They just don't know. I, see, you're talking to a guy that is a hardcore fan and knows all the ins and outs of these bands. And but but I get calls every day doing a national radio show. People simply don't know. They they just never paid that close of attention, and they don't. They just don't know what's going on out there. I Absolutely. even proposed that there should be some sort of app or something where people can click and see what a band's lineup is today and who is and isn't in it. Because I mean, Mark, there's bands out there with zero original members, or maybe just the drummer or something that are out there that somehow have control of the name. And again, people either don't care or don't know until after they bought their ticket. Yeah, you're right, and and as far as the zero, I was talking to Gunnar Nelson, and he was guest DJing in Cleveland, and he told me, he says, Farner, you don't feel bad. He says, there's 126 groups that all call themselves the Platters. They are all licensed by this one man who owns the, the trademark, and he collects a piece of every gig they do <laughs> because he owns the trademark he doesn't have to be honest and tell the fans or the audience you know the the potential uh, customers he doesn't have to tell them that this isn't the real platters because he's licensed to use the name <laughs> you see for me like, like, and I say there should be an app, but I tell my audience all the time, we don't need an app. We have something called the internet. Just go to the official website for the band, and you should see who the lineup is, and then make your own decision if you want to go or not. And I, I just, you know, for you as a musician who came from the 70s, I, I think about it. It's like, I don't know what's happened to the public. And obviously, this trickles down to promoters and booking agents yeah. as well, because they're just buying logos and they're putting a logo on an ad mat and they're not asking questions and they don't care yeah. who's got the name. Let me put the logo yeah. up. Maybe I get people. But it, it, you think about it. 
this stuff would have never flown in the 70s. Like, in the 70s, even the 80s, if somebody wasn't in, a key member wasn't in a band touring, it was a massive, catastrophic thing. Yeah. Now it's like, you know, just a couple years ago, ACDC, oh, Brian Johnson's out one day. Don't worry, we're bringing in Axl Rose. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's stop a second and process yeah, what no happened. Kidding. But it's just like, it's like, it's like, don't miss a beat. If somebody dies next day, we got a replacement. Let's go. It's weird. That stuff it would have is. never flown years ago. Yeah, that is so impersonal. And I just and, don't know what happened to music fans that they don't know or care more. It's just like, ah, it's all right. We'll go see it and hear it. It's okay. You know, I don't. That makes me nuts. I don't get that. I hear you. I I think maybe some of it is attributable to the fact that there's nothing but like videos. You know, I came from a time when there was no videos, brother, and so. I heard on uh, NEW there in uh, New York, they polled 100 different people, asked them to give their definition of Simon and Garfunkel's uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water, and they got 100 diversely different definitions. And, and that is because we all have this creativity. It's like somebody reads a book and then they go see the movie and they go, that movie sucks, dude. No, it's because <laughs> our imagination is so uh, much a part of who we are, but it's being stifled by one presentation of this damn song on a video, and that's what it is. Instead of, like, I'm your captain, uh, there was no video to it, man. I mean, uh, these guys in Nam and the foxhole were hearing it, man, and they were just praying that they were going to make it home. You know, it's... Uh, it's a different time, and I think the creativity in our nation has been stifled as a whole, and the, that music videos are contributing to it. Yeah, well, you know, and the last thing I'll say on this is that there are plenty of bands that I like and respect that don't have all the original members. Very few do. Every situation is case by case. The difference here with you is it sounds to me like you would like to resolve this and that you'd like to be back with Don and Mel. You'd like to go do it one more time. Am I reading that right? I mean, if you Absolutely, could... Absolutely, Eddie. And you know why? Because I'm a music fan, too. I know what it's like to be to want something, because I wanted the Beatles to get back together, man. When they were all still sucking air, I'm thinking, why the hell don't you just bury the hatchet and do it for us fans? Just do it for us fans. I couldn't figure it out. You know, I'm thinking, but now that I'm in these shoes, standing in this kitchen today, (laughs) I know that there are fans saying the same thing, and I've been, uh, like I said, trying to put the band back together just to do this for the fans, and to, you know, why the, we're all still sucking air, uh, to do it and bury the hatchet. Man, there'd be, let's have some forgiveness and go out and rock the hell out of the place. And there's been no nothing coming back in, as far as that, that it's, it's, it's radio silence as far as the, from their end? It is the same response parroted and echoed, never say never. That's all Brewer ever says. He doesn't do anything about it because in the corporate meetings where I say to him, when are you going to do what the president of the corporation is supposed to be doing and make the most amount of money that you can? But the, I'm, I'm always uh, stopped by illogical uh, thinking that is backed up by the other member, and it's, it's always just stifled. And the last thing I'll say on this is that I just read an interview with you in Guitar World magazine. And in that interview, when you were asked about the current band where with uh, Bruce Kulick as their guitarist, who's been there, I guess, almost 20 years. And I know Bruce, he was in Kiss in the 80s. You had very kind things to say about Bruce as a player, which I thought was you know, you didn't you didn't let the fact that he has that gig uh, interfere with how you felt about his ability. You would, I guess, you would. I remember reading you had had some uh, experience with him. I don't know if it was a fantasy camp or something, yeah. but you were very complimentary about his playing. Is that correct? Absolutely, and about him as a person. I mean, you know, he's a good dude. And and the first time I met him after uh, he had joined up with Don and Mel. Uh, he was apprehensive about how I was going to treat him, but uh, he was very relieved to know that I just 
treat him as somebody who's out there making a living like I am. Yeah, and that's what I always say, too, with replacement members. You can't blame them. If they weren't doing it, somebody else would be. So yeah, they're just taking the gig. Buddy. So you, you understand. Yeah, you man. never Did you ever go to see them with the current lineup? No, I haven't. I don't blame you. I was just curious because uh, that would be I, – I just because I just had someone on my show the other day that did do that, went, went in the back and watched uh, the, the metal band Accept. Their original singer told me he walked in and watched with the current singer and stood in the back and watched, and I found that – amazingly fascinating so i just didn't know if there was ever a scenario where you did that or would want to do that yeah i i just haven't because there's so much that's happened in in our life you know with our son uh becoming quadriplegic in in 2010 and then you know on the fourth of july he left the earth this year and now he's made whole but in all this uh these years i haven't had uh I've been busier than a one-eyed cat watching two rattles, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to hear about your son. I didn't realize he passed. I'm, I'm sorry for that. My condolences. Thank you, brother. Uh, yeah, Jesse is uh, with the angels. Yeah, no doubt. So so a couple other things I wanted to ask you about the, the, the early days. You know, we were talking about Shea Stadium and stuff. You, you actually – tell me if I'm right here. Did you actually tour with Hendrix? Did you go see him? Or did you guys ever tour together? Yeah, we were on, not on a tour, but we would do pop festivals or random dates where um, we were one of the many acts that, that, that had been booked for that. <clears throat> and like on um, Staten Island there, um, that one was, uh, that I think was the last time, yeah, that was the last time I saw Jimmy, but we had gigged together, and I saw him for the very first time uh, after the Fillmore East gig that we did as Grand Funk Railroad, he was in the dressing room and just blew my mind, dude. I mean, it's like the dressing room door open, and here's Jimi Hendrix with that wide brim hat on, standing there, and he had that little shit-eating grin on his face. I'm going, I, 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 the, you know, the most intelligent thing I could come up with to say, you're a great guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's all I could think of to say. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, but was he a, a fan of surprise. was he a fan of yours, Mark? Yes. As, a, as it turns out, he told me he loved my singing. Wow. Yeah, man. So, did you were you close with him, or did you just kind of run into him from time to time when you shared gigs? No, we just ran into each other, and you know he would have me come over to the dressing room, and we'd talk fishing, and you know childhood shit, and uh, not much of uh, music at all, you know. Wow, amazing! And the other great story that I had heard and was is kind of grand funk lore is the is the fact that you guys opened for Zeppelin but only lasted a couple shows. Tell, tell that story to the audience, if you will. Well, we started in Cleveland and uh, had a heck of a good response from the Cleveland audience. And then the next night, we went to Detroit to Olympia. Um, it's, a, it's like a big you know, uh, conference center, you know, big building that holds maybe... Uh, 15,000, and we were getting such a favorable response from our hometown crowd. They came up, and we were fixing to go into inside looking out, and they could feel it coming, and the place was about to come apart, and Peter Grant walks out and tells our manager, then manager Terry Knight, to pull the plug. Stop this band because I will pull the plug. And, and Terry's standing there going, hubba, 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 and, and, the, and they shut the power down on us. So the only thing that you could hear is the drums, you know. Ugh. And the drums are pounding out, and I turn around and I look, and Terry comes walking out with a microphone in his hand, and he says, due to contractual obligations, some kind of BS, uh, Grand Funk has to leave the stage. Oh, my God, you couldn't believe the wine bottles and the whiskey bottles that came throwing up on that stage <laughs> and this is close off. to your home this is close to your hometown this is yeah, close to flint yeah, right it's, it's like 60 miles from where we live wow so yeah. peter grant thought you were too good basically yes yeah, we were uh stealing the thunder well they went on 
to to a half a house an hour and a half later. They had they just waited, and we waited, and they waited. And I went out because, I mean, with a half a house, I could be, just blend into any seat. I went out in the back, and I watched the show, and I watched Jimmy do his thing with the, the oboe bow, you know, doing that on his guitar. And, you know, they put on a good show, but too bad that uh, the whole house wasn't there to appreciate it. Did you ever talk to the Zeppelin guys about that? Was there? Did you ever uh, strike up any sort of relationship with them, or was that pretty no, much the end of it? That was the end of it. That was like they were kept from us. We were kept from them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the British invasion thing. Brother, uh, every British band that I know sings in American English, and, and it kind of validates where it comes from, who owns it, you know, the authenticity of it. And uh, the only British invasion we ever got was that one two days before Christmas in 1913 when the Federal Reserve Act was signed in. <laughs> <laughs> There's your invasion, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, one other thing, and and I'll let you go, Mark. I wanted to ask you, you know, people who are fans of yours, and, and I didn't get, again, I'm a little too young to have seen you back in the day in these days that we're talking about, but I have friends that are older that did. And one of the things they always told me about you was not only were you a great singer and guitar player, but a tremendous front man. Like, you were great on stage, the way you commanded the stage, the way your presence, the way you moved. Where did that come from? Did you have an influence in terms of uh, from a, a performer? Was there someone that you saw that you, you kind of emulated what you were doing on stage after? Actually, my mother is more responsible for the the dancing and uh, and exhibiting, you know, making it so that you exaggerate to the point where the person in the last row can actually see what you're doing. <laughs> you know, you know and, and that's what I got from my mother and Terry Knight, my first manager. God rest both of their souls. But people want to see. Um, some action with it. They, I mean, so you're a great guitar player. You can shred. You can stand at a microphone. You can sing and do it. But can you perform? The the character has to come alive. And this is the way I do it in the studio. Same way, brother. I close my eyes and I become the character of that song. And then I can make it a believable performance. And that, I would think, is even more important when you're dealing with a trio. When you just got three guys up there because there's less to look at that you've really got to be animated you've really got to hold the attention absolutely brother absolutely yeah yeah well listen man i can't believe first of all i i can't believe that that shea stadium thing exists and never came out i mean that is crazy that is an unbelievable yeah. document that has yeah. got to see the light of day one of these days and, and the fact that you guys are all still alive thank god and 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 still still have your faculties i mean it'd be crazy not to try to do something like that and put yeah. it out let people like me who were, you know, not old enough at the time to see what went on, see what went on. And, uh, man, I ho I'd love to see you get your band back one last time. I'm glad I got to see you on that reunion run, though, that one time in the in the 90s there. But yeah. uh, I know I speak for a lot of other people uh, that would love to see it, see it one last time while you can still do it. Yeah, brother, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And I, I appreciate your words and appreciate your heart and what you do for rock and roll. Well, I appreciate that, Mark. Thank you. Everybody go to Mark's website for more information. Again, markfarner.com. Uh, he's got an acoustic show at the Cutting Room on October 30th in New York City. There's other shows as well. The band is called Mark Farner's American Band. And that uh, that DVD from Chile, when, it, when do we expect to see that? That's going to be within two or three weeks. Oh, so very soon. Yes. Okay, and, and places that they can get that, Amazon or your site or anything yes. like that? or Yeah, Amazon, my site for sure. If you want to uh, bop on over, we're going to have everything for sale there and all of the outlets that you know, download. Yep, again, markfarner.com is the site. Last thing, Mark, today, the day we're talking here is 9-11, 17 years after, uh, you know, the horrific attacks on this country. I know you are somebody that has done a lot for veterans and, and first responders and service personnel. So anything you want to say, uh, you know, on, on this day for 9-11? I want to say a big thank you to the Port Authority police who were there on site and 
who we got to do some music for, Eddie. We did uh, Rock to the Rescue and raised uh, a half a million dollars for 35 families uh, of Port Authority police who didn't see any of the donations that were uh, contributed to the Red Cross and that whole debauchery. But I want to say never forget, these are the people that are the lifeblood of who we are, the first responders, that all of us should have this mindset that we could come to the rescue or come to the aid of another person who was needing. Boy, what a fulfillment and what a blessing these people are to our country. God bless them all. Well, I couldn't agree more, and that's why I brought it up because it's important to never forget. You just this is a day that should just not should never blow by without people taking a second to remember those folks right. and uh, and be grateful for them. So, yep. Mark, thank you so much, man. I appreciate the time. Best of luck with everything, and we'll keep our fingers crossed that maybe one last time we'll get a chance to see the uh, the original Grand Funk Railroad once one more time. That would be awesome. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best, man. I hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, Eddie. And if I don't see you in the future, I'll see you in the pasture. (laughs) All right, man. I'll keep an eye open for you. Maybe I'll make it to the cutting room if I'm in town when you come to New York. Right on. Okay, buddy. Looking forward. Take care, Mark. All right. Bye-bye. Well, my thanks to Mark Farner. Uh, Great talking to him. Great reaction to that interview when it aired originally live on my SiriusXM show. Remember, check out my show every day on Sirius XM 106 volume. It is live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time with a replay every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. All it is is rock talk and interviews, and that's where that interview came from that you just heard. Get a little sample of what I do on a daily basis here on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She puts it all together. Remember, visit me online, eddietrunk.com. All my appearances, and there's a ton right on the homepage of the website music news updated daily as well and you can also follow on twitter at eddie trunk instagram at eddie trunk fan page on facebook at eddie trunk and uh catch you next thursday for another all-new episode of the eddie trunk podcast and hopefully daily on sirius xm 106 volume you guys have a great week On the producer's guide, Todd Garner talks to the director of Life Itself and the creator of the hit TV drama, This Is Us, Dan Fogelman. Out my window of my office, the marketing campaign was like, this is crazy, this is stupid, this is love. So the billboard right in front of my office just said, this is stupid. (laughs) Check out the producer's guide every Thursday on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.